0: This
1: is a production of WGBH.
3: Dave Ellswick Show on a Tuesday. Good to have you with us here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show and the Dave Ellswick Show and Sean Hannity Show and Jay Sekulow Show, the conservative station of Arkansas. I don't think there's any station in Arkansas that is as conservative as we are. So if you want to hear conservative talk, it's where conservatives come to talk right here at one oh one one fm uh the answer keep that uh, in mind got a lot to talk about this first hour uh the three hours we got today is going to go fast uh, this first hour I'm going to talk a little bit about bernie sanders some of the things that he's been saying uh in the press and follow that up with things that he has said uh out on the campaign trail i've got his sound his voice it's him And him talking about a lot of the things that he refers to on like 60 Minutes and things of that nature. Uh, Second hour, Bible guys are here. And in the final hour, my uh, good friend, uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds will join me. If you remember last week, uh, the word got out that the Taliban and the United States government were working towards some peace talks. First thing. Got to go a whole week without any roadside bombs and stuff. Second, then they sit down, and they start talking about peace talks. Third thing, uh, something that came out about that was making sure that ISIS or the Taliban, you know, or um, uh, ISIS or um, any of the other terror groups that are out there would not have training camps again in Afghanistan. And uh, then the United States would talk about withdrawing from Af- Afghanistan. Now, that's something that Trump promised to do. Uh, when he ran for president for the first term. Uh, we will talk about it as we go on, and Colonel Conrad Reynolds will be with us. He has had many tours over there uh, after he got out of the military and doing intelligence, has been over there as he's continued in that capacity in the private sector. So we will talk to him about it. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of all about this myself, just saying that if, our number one reason from be, for being there was not to democratize Afghanistan. That's not why we went there. We went there to get Osama. We thought he was there. Uh, he got away. Uh, but the other thing that we were there was to make sure we destroyed terrorist t- camps that had been there. Al-Qaeda was training fighters there. We destroyed them. And since we're close enough now in the region with uh, places that we can— you know, send in air power or put some uh, boots on the ground if necessary to take care of that if something like that happened again. I don't think that we need uh, to be there. So we'll talk with uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds about that. And I I think that he and I see pretty close eye to eye on that. He's the one who said to me, being in Afghanistan is like putting your hand in a bucket of water and then pulling it out and expect to see a hole. Uh, And that is not the case. So before we get into all of that today, let's uh, talk about uh, what's going on as far as this day in history, because some really interesting things did happen this day in history. It was on this day in 1964 that a 22-year-old Cassius Clay shocked the odds makers by dethroning world heavyweight boxing champ Sonny Liston in a seventh-round technical. Knockout! Now a lot of people think that he knocked him out cold because you always see the picture of him standing over Liston on the on the uh, the mat with his glove out shaking it at him. And no, he Liston got up. He just could not return to for the eighth round. Uh, the dreaded Liston, who had twice demolished former champ Floyd Patterson in one round, was an eight to one favorite. However, Clay predicted victory. Boasting that he would float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, a lot of people think that came that that saying came on later in his career. It was right at the very beginning of uh, his career, and he said he would knock out Liston in the eighth round. Got him in the seventh. One one early, uh, the fleet-footed and uh, you know fast-moving youngster who would later become known as Muhammad Ali needed less time to make good on his claim. Listing complaining of a injured shoulder, which he said he injured in the first round when he tried to hit uh, Cassius Clay and swung really hard at him and didn't connect with anything but air and said something happened in his shoulder. And that's possible. I'll say it's possible. Uh, Clay, later to be Muhammad Ali, born in Louisville, 1942. Started boxing when he was 12. By age 18, had amassed a record of over 100 wins in amateur competition. In 59, he won the International Golden Gloves heavyweight title. And in 1960, he won a gold medal in the light heavyweight uh, category at the Summer Olympic Games in Rome. Clay turned professional after the Olympics, went undefeated in his first 19 bouts, earning him the right to challenge Sonny Liston, who had defeated Floyd Patterson in 1962, to win the heavyweight title. I asked Zach how many people he thought showed up at that heavyweight title match between uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, Sonny Liston, and he said 20,000. Well, it was held in the Convention Hall Arena in Miami Beach today, February 25th, 1964, and there was a huge crowd of 8,300 people. To see if he, uh, uh, Clay, who it was nicknamed. Do you remember what he was nicknamed in the beginning of his uh, career? Like I said, the Louisville lip. The Louisville lip. That's right. Not Louisville. Buddy, come on now. You got to learn how to say Louisville? Louisville. Louisville. That's right. The Louisville lip. And uh, and he said uh, you can put his, his money where his mouth was. And he uh, proved no bragging fraud. He danced, backpedaled away from Lindston's powerful swings while delivering quick and punishing jabs to Liston's head so on this day February 25th 1964 then 22 year old Cassius Clay became the heavyweight champion of the world today in the movie theaters the passion of the Christ Mel Gibson's film about the last 48 hours of Jesus of Nazareth's life opened in theaters across the United States on February 25th 2004 How's that one for you? 16 years ago. Doesn't seem that long ago, but it was. Not coincidentally, the day was Ash Wednesday, the start of the Catholic season of Lent. The uh, star of the uh, action-paid packed blockbusters, Lethal Weapon series, Braveheart as well. Gibson was earning more. How much do you think Gibson was making per movie back in 2004? Want to take a guess, Zach? Per movie, per movie, three mil. I, I don't know. Uh, twenty million dollars a movie. Okay. In two thousand and four. Wow, that's a lo- he, that's a lot of a lot of greenbacks. I'm just saying, twenty million dollars. So he was doing that, and uh, then he d- he decided he was going to direct the Passion of the Christ. He received no cash compensation. In fact, he paid for most of the passion of the Christ. He believed in it that much. He wrote the script in English and then took it to a, a Jesuit scholar who translated it into uh, Aramaic. And his uh, his thoughts were to put it into the theaters in Aramaic without any English subtitles and let the pictures tell the story. Uh, of course, uh, that changed reason prevailed and they put uh, the subtitles at the bottom so that you could understand what was being said. And it was a huge, huge hit, but not without controversy. Uh, the anti defamation league attacked the movie, said that it would, f- uh, fan the flames of hate, uh, bigotry and anti Semitism because the movie would make people think that it was the Jews fault that cross that Christ was put on the cross. I've never understood that because Christ was a Jew. I mean, I just, I've never understood that argument, but that is the argument. You got to go back to the Dark Ages to understand, I think, where the argument is kind of made because uh, uh, during the Inquisition, those times, uh, the Jews were, you know, blamed for the death of Christ. Uh, you got, he uh, couldn't find a distributor. New Market Films st- stepped up and did it. Uh, upon its debut in February of 2004, the Passion of Christ surprised many by coming, becoming a huge hit at the box office. It always does big. When I show it as a classic movie, people always show up to see this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert called it the most violent film ever made in Hollywood. I'm sure he would change that now uh, looking at movies. But, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of pushback about the, the punishment that Christ took at the hands of the Romans when they, when they scourged him and said that it was overkill. And, I mean, if you've seen that movie, it's hard to keep your eyes on the screen while you watch that. But I think that that is biblically correct about what happened. All right, with that said, the last thing I want to talk goes take us back all the way to 1870. And uh, we're getting close to the end of Black History Month, so I want to mention this. Uh, the first African American congressman was sworn in on this day in 1870. His name was Hiram Rhodes Reveals. That's what it was. He was from Natchez, Mississippi. He was sworn into the U.S. Senate, becoming the first African American ever to sit in Congress. Democrat, right? Wrong. He was a Republican. Hiram Rhodes reveals the first African-American congressman sworn in to the Senate was a Republican. I've always said that if you do your history, you'll find that it's not the Democratic Party that fought for the rights of African-Americans in the United States. It was the Republican Party. All right, 619 on a Tuesday. Don't forget, Bible guys are coming up next hour. I've got several questions. i got room for a couple of more. If you have a question, uh, email it to us, would you, to, Dave, uh, to not to Dave, to Bible guys, the Bible guys at SalemLR, that's S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com. We're going to talk Bernie Sanders. Oh, so you don't want to go anywhere. i got good stuff to talk about. Bernie Sanders, when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. right, story I pulled down this morning from Fox News, Uh, Bernie Sanders reveals major plans to be funded by new taxes, massive lawsuits and military cuts. This is where he's going to get his money for all of this. Uh, He uh, released a fact sheet Monday night after the town hall on CNN. Explaining that he'd pay for his sweeping new government programs through new taxes, massive lawsuits against the fossil fuel industry. That means going against fracking and stuff. You see the price of gas is when I went by uh, Sam's today there in North Little Rock, $2.04. He gets his way. We'll be lucky if it's $5.04. Just saying. Just saying. You can't do that and not see prices go up. Now, for the real radical climate change people they're all about that they want to you know they want to push away and get rid of fossil fuels and like i made a joke saturday on the car and truck doctors about having electric cars with solar panels on top of them you know i'm just saying this is what this is what the people uh, on the left are are pushing for uh he also says he will slash not cut slash slash is much more draconian and cutting spending on the military this is what the democrats always always do they did it under clinton they did it under uh, obama and now and they did it under carter and now they're doing it under uh, of course uh, they want to do it under sanders if he gets elected or sanders wants to do it if he's elected as a push for his party and that is they'll 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 destroy our military. Uh, they hollow it out. Now, hollowing out. What does that mean? It means that you may have some brand new jets sitting on the runway, but if they break down and you need a part, parts may not be uh, you know around to be put into that plane for a couple, three, four weeks, months, if ever. They hollow it out. Then they reduce the amount of people that you have in the military. So that you can't do the missions that you really need to do to keep yourself safe from, uh, you know, your enemies throughout the world. So this is what Sanders is already saying that he wants to do. And if you're a young person, you think that's cool. I'm going to remind you what I always say to you. Go back and read your history when we do that and what happens. It's not good. It is not good. Uh, the move is there to, to head off complaints uh, from rivals in the, in the Democratic Party and from Republicans that his plans were economically unrealistic, especially after a head-turning CBS News interview in which the frustrated Vermont senator said he couldn't rattle off to you every nickel and every dime about his proposed expenditures. He released his plan on his website just minutes after promising to do so, during a CNN town hall, you should go take a look at it. It's pie in the sky. Go take a look at it. That's what you want to do. And, and when you look at it, think to yourself, can can we really can we really make this happen? For instance, can we really afford Medicare uh, for all? Cut number two. Here's him talking about it. How much will that cost?
0: Obviously, those are expensive propositions, but we have done our best on issue after issue, uh, in paying for them. Do you know how all, how much though? I mean, do you have a price tag for, for all of this? We do. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, the, the price tag is, it will be substantially less than letting the current system go. I think it's about 30 trillion. That's just for Medicare for all. Just, just Medicare for all. Yeah. Do you have a, a price tag for all of these No, things? I don't. We try to, no, you mentioned, making public colleges and universities tuition-free and canceling all student debt. That's correct. That's what I want to do. We pay for that through a modest tax on Wall Street speculation. But you say you don't know what the total price is, but you know how it's going to be paid for. How do you know it's going to be paid for if you
3: don't know how much the price is? Well, I can't
0: can't rattle off to you every nickel and every dime, but we have accounted for it. You talked about Medicare for all.
3: There you go. I can't rattle off every nickel and dime. I don't know. They don't know. That's the big thing. He doesn't know. Uh, let's see. Housing for everyone would cost $2.5 trillion over 10 years and would be paid entirely by a wealth tax on the top one-tenth of 1%, he says. That would raise a total of $4.35 trillion, according to Sanders' fact sheet. Uh, similarly, universal child care and preschool to every family in America would be provided with a wealth tax on the top one-tenth of one percent, again, raising more than $4 trillion. Uh, He didn't talk about the stock market ramifications of what he wants to do. What does he want to do on Wall Street? Well, here's what he'd like to do. He would put a half a percent tax on stock trades, 50 cents on every $100 of stock, a one-tenth percent fee on bond trades, And a .005% fee on derivative trades. Uh, It would mean paying $25 to the federal government every time you trade it, about $5,000 worth of stock, which happens a lot. Don't think that we're talking a few times. We're talking a lot. You're talking even penny stocks here. Penny stocks. Uh, Five times what you'd pay the typical online brokerage firm in fees. We got to talk more about this. It's important that everybody understands what Bernie Sanders is all about. Let's get to uh, the news that's coming up right now on one oh one one FM. Yeah, I will get back uh, to Bernie Sanders here shortly, but first of all, let me tell you that there's ways that can help you get more income from social security that the social security administration could never tell you. Learn what those strategies are at an educational event, maximizing Social Security with David Lucas in just two hours. You're going to learn why 96% of Americans lose an average of $111,000 in Social Security benefits over the time of their retirement. How you could avoid triggering higher taxes and Medicare premiums. Plus, if you're eligible for additional benefits, they could put thousands in your pocket every year. The event is coming up on march the fifth, that's a Thursday at six PM in North Little Rock. Tickets are twenty dollars, but there's only room for thirty one people. That's right, thirty one people. That is the maximum. If you've saved more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and have not filed for Social Security, then call to reserve your seat now at five oh one two two thirty three fifteen that's 501-222-3315. Let me give you that number one more time. 501-222-3315. Don't forget, that's uh, David Lucas, uh, who is going to be holding that, and that is the man. He knows his stuff. He's been on my show many a time. He's a good personal friend. I mean, he, he really does know his stuff. I use him uh, as well when I have questions. Now, Bernie Sanders went on talking about health care, health care. And he said, uh, you have to know that, you know, health care is going to be, you know, it's going to be an expensive proposition. And he has no idea how many people Medicare for all is going to have to cover because he wants to cover illegal immigrants.
0: Today... We got 500,000 people sleeping out on the streets of America. Today, we have 18 million families paying 50% of their limited incomes for housing. Today, we have hundreds of thousands of bright young people who cannot afford to get a higher education. Today, we have 45 million people paying a student debt that many of them cannot afford to pay.
3: Who signed for it?
0: So what our campaign is about and what our administration will be about is rethinking America, understanding that all of our people, when I say all, I also mean the undocumented in this country.
3: That Listen all close.
0: of our people are entitled to basic human rights.
3: That means Medicare for all. Because see that for Bernie Sanders is a right. Absolute right. So um, if you come to this country illegally, even though you're breaking the law, you're supposed to get all the rights of an American citizen. Does something not ring correctly in that for you? It doesn't for me. I don't think that if you, if you cheat, if you steal, if you, if you come in illegally, uh, you should be expecting that you get the best of the country that you're doing that to. He says uh, savings would come from eliminating health tax expenditures, which would no longer be needed under the Medicare for All raising the top marginal income tax rate on income to 52%. And I'll just leave that where it is. Reduce uh, defense spending by $1.2 trillion would be achievable by uh, scaling back military operations on protecting the global oil supply. This guy is if he was any more naive, I would say he needs to be in a Rebecca Sunnybrook kind of uh, of of story. I mean, this it is unbelievable what uh, he says at times. You know, because we're not going to need oil anymore. Evidently, now wait a second, we're going to destroy uh, our ability to uh, get oil here in this country. We're the number one producer now. We're going to get rid of that, which has brought down gas prices for us, and go back to depending upon foreign oil, but we're going to scale back our military so that they can't protect the oil supply from bad actors out in the world. Now, I want you to take those points, write them down sometime today. Just write them down, all right? stop the oil industry in America, make us dependent on foreign oil again, cut back military protection of the oil fields, and equal that out that we're going to have the oil we need for this country. It's as if the people who, or Sanders included, that believe in this stuff, think that you could just reach up, it's going to be like a water spigot. You can turn it off. Just just turn it off. We don't need any more of it and see where it leads us. Let's see, you won't be able to make some medicines that you use all the time. You won't be able to make uh, a lot of uh, the uh, equipment that's used in hospitals because plastics, my friend, is made with oil. And you can just you just extrapolate it out. Let's let's get to reality here, Bernie. How are you going to replace all of this that you're getting rid of? And what are you going to replace it with? I mean, that's the question. That's the bigger question than you saying, well, we'll just cut the military, you know, and do this and and we're going to give everybody, I don't care if you're here legally or illegally, we're going to give everybody Medicare for all. Give him complete coverage. The man is insane. And I will predict if he, if he does get the nomination for the Democratic Party, it will be one of the biggest defeats that have ever happened for the Democrats. I mean, 70% of Democrats might say, and they do, by the way, in in things that I've seen here recently, that some socialism should be brought to the United States. I find that at port number one. But number two, and I have a lot more uh, excitement about this, 67% of Americans say we don't want a socialist government in the United States. Now, I wish it was 99% because maybe one percent out there uh, could daydream and do their kumbaya thing and and believe that you could uh, you have have one nation you know that lives together and we could all hold hands and, and sing you know around the campfire and and make some all night or whatever. It ain't gonna happen. It's never happened. It's been tried time and time and time again and it has always failed in abject, Failure. I mean, abject failure. They used to have a uh, kind of a commune in Indiana, of Indiana, of all places. That's the state that I was born in and raised in for 27 years. Uh, you know what, Eugene Debs? He was one of the first real big socialists here in the United States. Uh, ended up in in jail uh, because of he was breaking the law so so often. But um, there was a uh, new harmony commune, it's what it was called, New Harmony. And it was a socialist experiment. And it was going to show that, you know, socialism uh, would work. It lasted two years and fell apart in abject poverty and destruction. I, I suggest you sit down and you read about it. Doesn't take you long. I mean, two years, you can read about that in three paragraphs. It just fell apart. Everything that has to do with socialism, socialism does away with religion. They believe that man has all the answers to what ails us. And if you can't look around and see how the world is and understand that man don't have the answer to everything that ails you, then either you're drinking too much at night or you're smoking dope. I'm just saying it's that clear. And if you're a young person, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote Winston Churchill. If you're under 30 and you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. If you're over 30 and you're still a liberal, you don't have a brain. All right. We got to take a break here. It's uh, about a quarter till uh, seven o'clock. The Bible guys are going to be here. I just got a uh, a message from Scott. He's going to be a few minutes late. Billy is already here. Is Steve coming today? Steve's coming. All right. So. Well, they'll get underway. I've got some really good questions for them. If you've got a question, you just send it to Bible Guys at SalemLR.com. dot com. My finishing touches for Bernie Sanders when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick show. He says all he means everybody within our borders, whether they're here legally or or illegally, he wants to give it to illegal immigrants. They're entitled he says, to the same government benefits as citizens are. Uh, That's in direct opposition to what we've heard from the president. The president yesterday, uh, just going into effect, uh, the the government is going to start asking people who want green cards to prove that they can take care of themselves Uh, and that it's not going to take tax dollars to keep them fed and clothed and Keep them housed. They got to be able to do it themselves or they don't get a green card and get to stay in the country. That seems to be only right. You shouldn't be able to come to this country and, uh, you know, live to the benefits of this country at the behest and at the requirement that you, who have been born in this country, raised in this country, are a citizen of this country, work hard for your family that you've got to pay to take care of them. You know, the first dollar that comes out of your paycheck shouldn't be going to somebody else. It should be going, the first dollar in your paycheck should go to take care of your own family or to take care of you. Understand that if socialism reigns in this country, uh, private property disappears. There's no such such animal as private property under socialism. It's controlled by the government. And that would mean those folks up in D.C. Now, do you want them controlling everything? And private property can means you. The first and and foremost thing that you control is your own body. They will take that away from you. I mean, Medicare for all. Let's think about that for a moment. That means the government will decide what your health care is, which led Bloomberg to say the other day, when you know, you only have limited resources because there's only so much money. That you can ring out of uh, the electorate or the citizens of a country that, you know, Sarah Sarah Palin was lambasted when she talked about death panels. I'm telling you. When you listen to Bloomberg and you can go back and listen to Governor Lamb of Colorado in 1984, you'll hear the same thing. They've been talking about this for 50, 60 years. Uh, Bottom line is that he said, you get to be a certain age. And let's say you get uh, prostate cancer, guys. Uh, they're going to look and say, well, you know, you're 78 years old. You've had a good life. We'll keep you comfortable. You won't. We'll, we'll make sure you don't have pain. But uh, it's time for you to get out of the way because we need these resources for younger people. He said that I played that for you on the air. He basically said that. What did Governor Lamb say? I don't have it right in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase it. But he said that all Americans have a duty, a duty to die and get out of the way and become the hummus for the future generations. Just like the leaves fall from from the trees, so should the elderly in America. I'm just telling you, this is how they think, because they own your body. That's where property rights start with your body. Just just letting you know, it's uh, not a good thing. And you know why they like abortion? It's not because women, they want to protect your uterus as you think that they're doing. No, they don't want to pay for the people that are being born. That's what it all saving money as far as they're concerned. You pay a little bit, but you save a whole lot more down the road. So they don't care that they're murdering people in, 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 for the future. They don't care. It's the way that, That's just the way they think. So uh, Nancy Pelosi, remember that she said, let me read this now. She told a college student at a January 2017 town hall. Let's remember, 17. That's three years ago, basically. Three years ago. I guess four, because we're 2021 now. No, we're 2020. Yeah, 2020 still Uh, that Democrats, quote, are capitalists, unquote, rather than socialists. When a CBS News reporter asked Pelosi in June of 18, if socialism is, quote, ascendant in the party, she answered, no. I do reject socialism as an economic system. If people have that view, that's their view. She told sixty minutes in April of twenty nineteen. That is not not the view of the Democratic Party, she added. But Bernie Sanders is showing that's not the case, isn't he? They're red they're red meat Democrats that are out there right now on the left that say, yeah, we're all about socialism. He's won Two of the first three Democratic presidential contests, including an easy win over the weekend in Nevada. He's got one tonight in South Carolina. I think he'll win that perhaps, or if he doesn't, he'll just be trailing Biden by uh, insignificant numbers. The real, real clear politics polling average has Sanders running 12 points ahead of his nearest candidate, and that's Vice President Joe Biden. A morning consult poll of Democratic primary voters Sunday found Sanders' lead over his primary rivals is only continuing to grow. So you tell me that the Democrat Party is not the Socialist Party of the United States. And I'll tell you, if you don't believe that, you're delusional. You're not paying attention to the facts. And I I have a shirt that I wear, they see it here at the station all the time, says, facts trump your feelings. And facts say the Democratic Party is becoming a socialist party, and some of the people that are not socialists that are still in the Democratic Party are starting to freak out about this. I mean, one of the biggest ones that are freaking out is the raging Cajun James Carville. He's just totally losing it over the socialism thing. He really is. And I'm glad to see it, but here's the problem, James. You guys have been perpetuating it for years. Now the chickens have come home to roost on you. That's what's happened. Sanders surge is consistent with polls showing that Democratic voters will choose socialism over capitalism whenever they're given the choice. In August of 18, Gallup poll found the Democrats have a more positive view of socialism than they do of capital, uh, capitalism, the poll was the first time in Gallup's measurement over the past decade that Democrats viewed socialism more favorably than capitalism. Gallup noted, and you know what, parents, we all have to look at ourselves and kick ourselves in the butt right now because you've allowed the school system, secondary school systems as far as your uh uh high schools go, and up in college. You've let them completely propagandize your children about socialism and haven't done a damn thing about it. Pardon my language, but that's exactly the way I feel about it. You didn't do anything about it. You didn't have the time to go down to the school board meeting and say, what are you teaching my child here? And you allowed it to happen, and then you fought against school choice where at least over there you could send your kid and get some schooling that didn't perpetuate these myths and this destruction of our country. Bible guys are next. I've just kicked my soapbox to the side. I'll get off of it, and I'll let the Bible guys come on and answer your uh, questions when we come back. It's 101.1 FM, The Answer, and uh, don't forget, it is the home of Rush Limbaugh. We'll be back in a moment after the news. I, I dragged it out long enough, Scott, that maybe you'll make it during the first segment instead of being late <laughs> after. It's, it's funny. He sent me a, a, a thing saying he was going to be late probably after the, the first segment, and I just wrote back, pick it up, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Miller's here. He uh, is a, a pastor. His calling is to work with incarcerated people, and he's out at the Tucker unit most of the time. And then uh, Steve Hess is here. He works with Agape. He's a pastor as well, and his is uh, education. Yeah, I'm more of a a teacher. I did pastor for a while, and I still think I have a pastoral. Teaching is pastoring. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe not making hospital visits or whatever, but I bet you you do that too when you hear about it. Oh, yeah,
1: and go to prison.
3: I'm just saying, and he goes to to the prison prison to do that as well. I just got an answer from Scott. It's a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's picking it up. We got some interesting questions today. They sound simple, however, the answers probably are kind of complex. May take yeah. some time to answer these. So let's get it underway right now. Um, our first questioner says, "I was hoping you could answer a question that has been bugging me for a while now. How do I find the will of God?" for my life what's my purpose why am i here anyway i must i know that there must be something that god wants me to do but i just can't seem to find it so i'll leave that with you guys go ahead
1: when i normally when people normally ask me that question i always ask them what's their natural inclination right what do they like to do um for example if i didn't um before i felt called to the min- the, the ministry. Um, I thought when I retired from the military that I'd become like a high school teacher. I always had a draw and an interest in teaching for some reason, even though I was a horrific student uh, in school, but it's just something that was I was naturally drawn to. Uh, I spent the majority of my career in the military as an instructor and or an evaluator. Um, so I tend to tell people, just find out what you're naturally drawn to do and then see where that fits in the kingdom of heaven, because I believe that's God built us to do certain things, um, to function in certain ways. And I think that you would find that wherever it is that you're inclined to go is probably what the spirit of God is leading you and drawing you to do. Unless you just have an absolute moment um, where the voice of God is so clear. But I still think it will line up with a natural disposition that you have.
4: Yep. No, that would that would absolutely be my answer as well. Um, God has giving you certain gifts and certain talents uh, and the, you know, the, the thing that I'm always talking to my children about is how do you use your gifts and talents to serve the Lord? Um, all of my children are musically inclined. So all of them are involved in, in choir and in um, doing music at the church. Uh, a couple of them are technologically uh, inclined and therefore they help run sound and that sort of thing. Um, so the answer is uh, find what it is you do naturally find what it is that you have this gift for anyway, and then find a way to apply it in the kingdom. And that does not necessarily mean um, applying that in a church. Uh, matter of fact, no. if the only place you're doing, the only place you're using your gifts um, for God is inside of a church, then you are failing the calling. Um, you should be finding a way to reach beyond the the, the four walls of your church and uh, reach those out there who are um, not yet a, a part of the kingdom. So, um, outreach and, and and that can be that can be super simple that that can be as as simple as um, greeting uh, people uh, appropriately and cheerfully every time you see them uh, so that they see that there's something different about you um, but you know being a representative for christ you are uh, an ambassador in this world of christ so um, i think that um, think that about sums that up
3: Okay, I guess the other thing that I would ask about this is that is there a feeling amongst people who are in church, all right, now I'm right. talking about Jesus believers, okay, and in church, and just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Jesus believer. That's well, right. there, or a Jesus follower. you got to be more than just, I believe, just a believer. You've got to mm. be a follower uh, of Jesus Christ. And you've touched on it it's, you know, a lot of people think, well, whatever gift that God's going to give me, it's going to have something big to do with his kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be able to preach or I'm going to be able right. to lead people right. to Christ or whatever. When in fact, he gives us gifts uh, that we take into everyday life. For Absolutely. instance, I do broadcasting. That is the gift that I have yep. and that that, uh, that God has given to me. Now the scriptures tell me, that everything that I do, I do to the glory of God. Now that means that I've I've got to, you know that that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's right. 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 Here's the, here's the part that people miss. People think that
1: um where they're supposed to arrive is at a church ministry someplace that right. they are supposed yes. to be a pastor that they're supposed to be a youth pastor or a worship leader or pick any job or ministry within church but when we look at the fivefold ministry out of the book of Ephesians people forget the latter part of okay. the ministry let everybody know and it says um and he gave himself some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers and they go well that's it no 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 for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry right. their job is to prepare the people to go do the ministry. That is the biggest fault. And what is the ministry? It could be anything. It's everybody outside of those four walls. That's what we are supposed to be doing is equipping people to go into the hospitals, in the prisons, in the workplaces, in the schoolyards, and the government, and every other place that we are supposed to be. That is the place for ministry. People have the idea that they just pay the pastors and they do the ministry, and that's not it. It is supposed to be the people. Are
3: to go do the ministry. All right. right. Anything else you want to add, to that Billy?
4: No, I, I'm I'm perfectly on board with that answer. Um, that is that is absolutely the mission. The mission is to uh, always be involved in outreach. Uh, if you're not constantly trying to reach people, then um, and, and look, none of us are constantly trying to reach people, so we are all falling short. But uh, if your if your heart's desire is not for the uh, unsaved, then you've you've missed the call of Christ. Yeah, well,
3: that's the key. The key is, what's the first thing Christ told the disciples?
4: Go. Yep. Go. Get
3: out of here. Yeah, tell everybody. (laughs) Tell them the good news. All right. Uh, Okay, next question from this person, question B, and Mm -hmm. it goes with question A. How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You guys talk so casually about it that it must be second nature to you. (laughs) Help. Let me just say something last night i was praying Mm -hmm. i got bad news yesterday i was sharing it with billy and and with steve earlier today and i got some bad news and i'm going to be honest i started talking to god and it felt kind of dry yeah it -hmm. felt kind of dry And, and by that i mean i was talking but i wasn't hearing anything coming back right and that happens at times you know, now I don't know if there's something that you know God wants me to look at in my life or whatever it is, and that's what it ended up being. at by the end, is me saying, you know, I'm going to put my trust in you, Lord. Right, right. Tell me, you know, if you would please, because I'm a why guy. You know, why is this happening, and what are you trying to teach me? Because from what I understand from scriptures, when these things happen, these these bad things in your life happen. They come to teach something. Mm -hmm. You didn't hear, Scott, so let me just, I'll just tell you, I'll tell everybody on the air while I'm doing it. I've been told I got an infection again in my foot. Right. I'm back on a pick line. They Uh, put it in yesterday. I'm sorry about that. So they told me two two weeks on that, right? But I had to go have an MRI on Friday. And I did that, and Dr. Uh, Ardawan called and left a message for me and said it is his opinion that i probably should have my second toe amputated mm. and uh, so i go see my wound doctor today i got three three what i consider specialists yeah. working on me and uh, i want them all to put their heads together and if they tell me i gotta lose a toe then i'll lose a toe but it seems to me that like puts me back to square number one again yeah. and uh and i want to know why yeah you know i don't Don't think that's wrong to ask of God. No, no. So that I was petitioning him yesterday. Right. It's no why.
5: I don't know. I don't know if you guys have chimed in on this or not. Nope. Not yet. Um, That's an important. Obviously, it's an important question to to ask, especially if you're in in the condition that you're in. I think that you have we have to be able to discern what is what is happening from from God, but also if we're being under attack from the enemy. so That's not, true. So not everything that happens in our life is just God's will. A lot of it is uh, the enemy attacking us, and then we have to position ourselves to fight our way through that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so and the way we do that primarily is we go to the Scripture and see, can I find in the Scripture anything that would actually answer this question? And then beyond that, I take that Scripture to the Lord, and I begin to seek him um, about those things. So um that that would be a place that I would start and I think that if I was in your 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 place Dave I would probably position myself to f- to fight uh to um I'd be rebuking infection I would be commanding my my toe to be uh healthy no I would be commanding the infection to die just standing in faith until I'm confronted with something different that I have to make a a, uh, a decision about okay yeah cuz I've had I've had infections before and in the doctor said so we don't know how you got this um I don't know if you guys remember back a few months ago. I had um, I had an infection. I was uh, I was fighting, and every day. So I, I, I I'll open this up to everybody. So for about the past um, six months, every day when I start my my time with the Lord, I read at least the first five verses of Isaiah fifty three, and it's just about Him bearing our sicknesses, bearing our. Uh, our disease, by stripes I'm healed. I read them in English. I read them in Hebrew. I say them in English. I say them in Hebrew. I just over and over and over again because I know that the Bible says that he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from all our flesh. The Bible says that his word uh, is is health to all our flesh. So I continue to stand that that infection is not going to uh, uh, to come back on me. Amen.
1: Yeah. A lot of people forget that remedy, if you will. Um, they look for some... I don't know what to say, some magic formula. Well, what was the formula that Jesus used? As soon as he was confronted by the enemy, he quoted the scripture yeah. right. to the enemy. And so that is, should be the first thing, like Pastor Scott was saying, is if it's sickness, then you should be quoting all the sickness verses. If it's depression, you should be quoting all the joy verses. Uh, if it's family, you should be quoting all the verses about restoration and reminding God of all of His promises, because that's one of the things He says to do is to remind me. Yeah. So we remind Him, and then we also declare into the heavens the things that we expect to have happen, um, and that should be our response. And it, it should also be the response to the other part of that question, which was, "How do you hear the voice of God?"
3: Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Here's right. here's yep. the question. Well, the question is. How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You guys talk so casually about it that it must be second nature to you. Oh, wow.
1: Well, I would that, that, <laughs> That's um, a, a, a right. big topic. well, here's a funny thing is, uh, yesterday I spent the day in the woods, um, doing that very thing. Um, just getting away from everything and just being still and being quiet. Um, because for me that is absolutely necessary is to get away, uh, and not have any distractions whatsoever. And how you learn that voice um, is by spending time with him. And then you will yeah. learn, because for everybody it's different. Um, some people hear his voice like a thought. Some people hear his voice like a moving, as um, is, is I forget the guy who coined the phrase, but you'll know when you're nowhere. It's in that stomach yeah. region. It's in that vein, mm-hmm. and you'll just know and you'll <laughs> feel that the Spirit of God is saying something to you. Uh, for me, it's actually how I see things. I read things um, and how I see things, whether it be in the scriptures or how I see in people. Um, and I see that oftentimes I'll, I'll feel like Spirit of God is asking me what I see yeah. um, and when I see it a situation. And that's actually how he's speaking to me and revealing something to me. So for everybody, it's different. Uh, but the first place that God speaks clearly is in his word. word. Amen. And so if you go, hey, God, should I go feed the hungry? Well, you Amen. don't need an answer to that because it says to do so in his word
3: all right we gotta take a break when we come back scott we'll let you pick up because you went Ooh, that's a deep coming (laughs) i'm sorry i was late okay i i just did you like my answer yeah first i didn't know what it meant
5: (laughs) (laughs) but i gave a thumbs up thinking it meant to hurry yeah Yeah. pick it up
3: skippy (laughs) all right we gotta take a break uh, here at 101.1 fm the answer home of the rush limbaugh show back with you how do you hear the voice of the holy spirit we've talked about that some and uh, I guess we are guilty of talking kind of casually about uh, the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Holy Spirit, because this person said, well, that must be just second nature to you guys. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like Steve, you know, I want to hear from God, so I seek God. Right. And I think that if you want to hear from God and you seek God, you'll hear from God, you'll hear from the Holy Spirit.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, we know that uh, the word says if we uh, if we seek him, then we find him and actually the word does say says seek the lord while he may be found there are certain moments in time where you have a sensation of his closeness but mm-hmm. he's always he's always there and we know that the word tells us that if we uh, if we knock then it's opened if we ask then he then he answers to us um but like steve said it it's it's different for everybody but um but i think the 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 goal is to be able to to have an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. with the lord so that at a moment's notice we can uh, we can hear him you know cause sometimes things require you to act immediately and you don't have three months to fast and and pray and and read so there needs to be a an awareness and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit you know when you're just as an example if you're you know if uh, if Dave calls me on the phone, you know the first few times he called, he would have to say, "Hey, Scott, this is Dave mm-hmm. but now he can call me, and he doesn't have to introduce himself because I recognize his voice right. I think if, with God, it's kind of that way. You have to get to know the voice and get to know the, the thought in your head or what you're seeing or that impression. One thing the Lord used to do with me is when he was training me, you know, I would be sitting there and I would begin to get a sensation in my heart, something the Lord was saying to me. And a few seconds later, the pastor would say that very same thing. And the Lord was saying, mark that feeling. Mm. Mark that. So I, I began to learn, oh, that was the, that's the Lord talking to me. And then right, he would confirm right. it. and. And so you kind of walk and grow in these things. It's not like a, you know, it's not like not just like switching, flipping on a switch. Maybe for some people it is, but for me it was a, uh, it was the Lord training me and teaching me how to hear a Spirit. Really, this is a this is a full seminar teaching here you could do, uh, but uh, in the short.
4: Yeah. So for me, um, for me, it is the impression of a voice. Uh, It's it's not a it's not an audible voice, but um, you know, it's almost like. I have just heard something and then I'm aware that I have heard that. So, uh, and, and mine generally happens. I I spend a lot of time. I used to spend a whole lot of time driving. And for me, I will, uh, I guess one of the best things that ever happened to me is that I inadvertently destroyed the, uh, radio in my car at one point. So I didn't have any audio in my vehicle, which means I drove silently. And that became, I've, I've always in, in times of real need, I would just get in the car and start driving and talking to the Lord. And for me, that is, um, when you're driving two hours a day back and forth to work, that's a lot of time to spend yeah. uh, talking to God and mm-hmm. listening. Um, so that is anytime that I'm really desperate to hear the, the voice of God, that's what I do. I go get in the car and start driving um, and, and listening. And for me, it's that impression of a voice, um, the, the knowledge that I've already heard something mm-hmm. and, and therefore, okay, that that's the way God speaks to me. So yeah.
5: and if I ever have cloudiness, I just spend time praying in the spirit for a yeah. while to yeah. get rid of the cloudiness so I can uh,
4: hear. But can I ask, how do you inadvertently destroy a radio in your car? So I I said the- I and, and it was I in the fact that I loaned a vehicle to a friend and uh, they left the headlights on and ran the battery down and when they went to jump it, they turned the cables backwards oh, so <laughs> fry oh, yeah. you they, fried, <laughs> they their radio. fried my radio yeah. yeah in my
5: mind i was seeing you just beating the radio no, and screaming at no. it and, okay
3: all right all right we need to get a break in let's do that when we come back what about laying of hands well we'll talk about that it just happened in the studio we'll talk about it when we come back here on the dave Ellswick show right now it's time for rush limbaugh and his morning update let's get to that 25 minutes till 8 it's forty, forty-eight 48 degrees outside right now it was nice yesterday afternoon it was man i walked out from work here heading over uh, to see well heading over to to baptist north little rocks so and put that pick line in and it was like wow man this is really nice mm-hmm. it was like 63 degrees it was mm-hmm. beautiful high about 58 today so it's going to be just as almost just as pretty as it was uh yesterday All right, here's your question. How do you guys feel about laying on of hands? I know that Jesus did it quite a bit, but I also know that most churches don't do that anymore. Do you believe we should do that today? If so, why? If not, why not? Kind of interesting as I grew up, you know, because I grew up kind of in the church. uh, And it was funny because my dad was not a believer. Mm -hmm. My mother was because she was saved when she was young. Her father was a Southern Baptist minister. But uh, my father wasn't. But he made sure we boys were at church every Sunday. Mm. He, he thought there was something that we needed to learn there. Uh, and a lot of it went back, as I talked to him later in life, went back to what he had saw in World War II. So with that, with all that all exposed to all of you. As I tell you, I'm transparent on the show. I tell you about my life. But mm. the bottom line is, is that I remember laying of hands all the time. I remember mm-hmm. when somebody was called to be a preacher, they'd go up front. And they'd have a group of preachers there, and they'd lay their hands on them, and uh, you know people would come up prayer requests. They would lay yeah, their hands yeah, on totally. them, and you don't see that now. I I agree with that. We don't see it. You come up and have some people pray with you, but you don't hear let them you know the preacher coming out and saying I'm going to lay hands on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So explain what's going on, Scott. Well, uh,
5: <laughs> yes, yes, I believe in laying on of hands. I mean, it's all through the scripture. Uh, it's not just a um, something that belongs to the church world. I mean, it's always been right. We see it always happening throughout. Um, I mean, the Lord had, for example, the, the patriarchs always laid hands upon their children. Uh, they bless them. Uh, the Jewish people to this day lay hands upon their children. Every Sabbath day, they bless them. Uh, God had the priests lay hands upon the heads of the offerings uh, uh, as a, as a, a contact for or association with the Santa transference. So the idea of laying out of hands has been throughout the, uh, throughout the word of God. Uh, when Jesus showed up, of course, he's always laying hands on the on the sick. And then it tells us in um, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter six, it talks about what what the Bible calls the. It says um, these are the foundational principles of Christ. There's certain doctrines, and one of the doctrines of the foundational principles of Christ is the laying on of hands. So, uh, and you can lay hands on for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and one thing you mentioned about uh, as a Baptist, seeing people lay hands on like a, someone's being ordained in the yes. ministry i grew up as a southern baptist and that's the only time in my church that i ever saw laying out of hands if someone was being ordained people would lay hands on but there was never laying hands on for for healing, healing. no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but at the same time they tell us that we follow jesus and we want to be like jesus but uh but unfortunately yeah the whole laying out of hands for the sick has gone away And i think it's gone away partly because a lot of these denominational churches don't believe in healing anymore
4: right, right. and so they just avoid that particular thing but most definitely, I believe in it yeah and and uh, I come from a Pentecostal background I've been Pentecostal my entire life. I mean some of my earliest memories are laying on of hands, so people seeing people slain in the spirit and yeah. you know, that's something that a young kid is very impressed by, so um very impressioned uh, ha- having had an impression upon me so um yeah i i've I am quick to lay hands on most individuals now uh, I had to apologize to someone recently uh after um, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, there was a, a woman who wanted to be um, prayed for. And I, I, as a personal thing, I don't generally lay hands on any woman other than my wife. That's just something that uh, is a personal thing in my life. But uh, it, it Scripture calls for it. Um, we believe what Scripture has to say, and therefore— Now, there I, I, I do caution people at times. There are certain times when I think it's inappropriate— for some individuals to lay hands on other individuals. If we're dealing with a um, potential uh, demonic oppression or something like that, and and I don't think the person is spiritually in the right place just because of what I know about them, uh, I might wave them off because the last thing in the world you want is someone who's not prayed up, laying hands on someone where there might be a demonic possession going on. Um, I, I caution people there. Uh, I would also caution that you never flippantly lay hands on someone i mean that's a serious moment you're you're interceding on their behalf um so it shouldn't be something that we do casually um but it is certainly something we should be doing
3: all right so is it like allowing yourself to act as a channel between the person that you're praying for and god is that what it is um i think the phrase point of contact you use more frequently is
1: probably a better way because um, I know you didn't mean it by the terminology, but Chandler would give the idea that it's somehow that it's flowing through you. Yeah, and, and though there's an aspect of that, it's more of a, I think, of a contact of faith Yeah, that is what you're doing there. Okay. And the Bible doesn't really
5: specifically give us the reason why it just says to do it. Right. And so um, how that works out in the spirit. But um, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, that. because
3: I'm filled with the spirit. Yeah, right. right. So when I'm laying my hands on that person. Yeah. I feel like that's got to have some effect
5: now somebody out there might be saying but i know a verse of scripture that says lay hands upon no man suddenly and there's a verse that does say that uh but that's if i'm not mistaken that's in reference to actually ordaining someone into the ministry it doesn't have to do with uh touching someone for the purpose of uh healing or laying hands on the purpose of someone for uh for
3: for prayer so why did we move away from it do you believe in the church today well, I think
5: that some of it is reactionary, like we don't want to be like those people because we right. think they're extreme, right. and okay. they do these things, so we're not going to do them. Um, uh, the Jewish people have done the same thing. Their, their Rabbi Akiva, um, one of the great rabbis of the, of the Jewish faith, he used to worship so wildly, um, but it was said of him, they said, we don't like, the other scribe said, we don't like the way Rabbi Akiva worships because when he does it, he looks like the notzrim, he looks like the Christians. No. So they began to change the way they worship because they didn't want to look like the North Stream or the or the believers in the Messiah. And I think a lot of times other denominations do it. It's a reactionary thing. But I also think that when their doctrine changes, right, they just stop. They stop believing in healing, so they don't lay hands on people anymore. Um, and I remember being on, on an airplane flying to Israel, and it was a plane full of believers going to Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and it was my first trip. I was probably 17 years old. And there was a group on there, and they were clapping and singing and praising the Lord. And when, someone had a tambourine, and I was with the denominational group, and we weren't doing any of that.
3: Yeah, could those people please in uh, section five uh, calm down?
5: And, and and the guy beside me, an older gentleman, I leaned over and he said, "Those would be the charismatics." <laughs> and so, and so it, was, it was almost it was almost like you know that they you know that's what they do, right. but we don't. It was almost a reactionary thing, and that that may not be everybody else's idea, but right. I think that's a part. A part of it.
1: Well, your doctrine, and your belief, drives what you do, and so if you don't believe that certain things are for today, then you'll stop doing the practices that yeah. are associated with those things.
4: Yeah. yeah, and I think those those two explanations are are absolutely summing the entire thing up. It's an it's a desire to segregate ourselves for whatever reason, uh, as well as simply. I mean, when you got um, ordained gay ministers who don't believe Jesus was a real person and don't believe that there is a God, uh, and you call yourself the minister, the past senior pastor of a Christian church, I, sure, laying on of hands is, is minimal at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've gotten, so many churches have gotten so far away from um, God that um, laying on of hands becomes a really secondary or tertiary sort of issue, yeah. um, unfortunately.
3: Okay. I'm just going to give you three minutes on this next question, oh, wow. but you need a whole show. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. All right. Uh, I was reading the book of Revelation, and it mentions the number of the beast is 666. Uh, can you help me understand that? There is so much on the Internet, but I can't trust it because there are so many different opinions.
4: Right. Help. Three minutes. Huh? Three minutes. Yeah, we Three can minutes. help you out
3: with that. <laughs> Come uh, to Agape. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: no, we can't help you out with that. That's how we help you out with it. Yeah, there, there are innumerable answers to that question. Right. Um, we will not know how any potential future fulfillment of that looks like until it happens.
3: Is it really important to know? <sighs> uh, I, if the Bible says it, something,
5: then it's important. Uh, but how much time we spend over that...
1: Um, because we yeah, don't know what hard. it's going to look like. Well, I mean, I'm 20, 20 years uh-huh. ago, when I, when I first got saved, I was hearing everybody running around talking about how barcodes yeah. uh, have a six in the beginning, yeah, a tried. six in the middle, and a six at the end. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan Wilson was 666. William Jefferson Cliston was 666. And all this other foolishness that was all over the internet. Um, and we just won't know until it manifests. But I will tell you, you might want to sit down. There was a fulfillment of that in the first century known as Nero Caesar. His name means 666, and he was the prime persecutor of those in the church yeah. from around 63 to 66. Yeah. So so it could be historical. It could have been. Yeah. I, I believe it has a dualistic, dualistic fulfillment yeah. okay. that, there, that, that he was a picture of what an anti-Messiah was going to yeah. look yeah. like. And just as his name meant something numerically, it will mean something numerically in yeah. the future.
3: I like what you just said. It was a dualistic yes. because people wanted to be. One or the other, yeah. One and done. They want
1: history, or they want it in prophecy. That's the next thing I'm getting ready to work on, and that's a very important aspect to study. But
5: that's that's very much a Hebraic concept that the the prophecy has a cyclical nature to it, right? And the whole idea with uh, Nero uh, Caesar being that number deals with the fact that Hebrew is also a numerical language. So every letter in Hebrew is also a number, and the book, and so you can take Nero Caesar, and that's what it comes out to. uh, That number but also the book of Revelation is probably the most Hebrew book of the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It was almost like a book written in code mm. that it could circulate among the Christians. If a Roman ever got it, he would look at it and say fantasy stuff and pass it on without stopping it because it made no sense to any of them. But when the Christians got it, when they put it into Hebrew, it made a lot more sense to them. They could get the message that was being there on the day.
3: And it does not mean auth- the author Brown That's right. correct. Right. It right. does not mean no, that. No. Just let you know, and that. Tom Hanks really can't just figure it out. No, he can't. (laughs) It doesn't work out that way. All right, when we come back, and we'll have one more segment with the Bible guys, and Billy's here, Scott's here, Steve is here. Uh, You always hear people say you should go to church wearing your very Sunday best. Is there anything in Scripture that backs that up? And a great question from a listener, is socialism a religion? We'll talk about all of that when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show 1011 FM, The Answer, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. It is uh, about 14 minutes till 8 and 48 degrees. All right, back, final segment with the Bible, guys. Got some interesting questions here, a little bit away from, uh, you know, the whole thing about, uh, you know, what does the Bible say about this or that. This is about what does the Bible say. However, it's something, it's like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. You've sure. heard, we've all heard that. Uh, how about this is there a scripture pertaining to your sunday best you've heard that before oh yeah you should always wear your sunday best whatever your clothing is that's the best you got that's what you should wear is there anything in scripture to validity you know for validity of that
1: and yeah i don't think you're going to find chapter and verse what you're going to find is the principle and the principle is right. probably taken from the idea of the priest and how they presented themselves before God. And I think the idea is that um, now that we have become a kingdom of priests, that when we come before God, that we should prepare ourselves, wash ourselves, dress nice, and that that kind of mentality. Yeah. It it turns into um, a super religious thing where then all of a sudden we look at, upon those who maybe don't have their Sunday best as someone who's not holy and righteous before God. Turn that into, um, I guess, a religious
4: Tradition, yeah, and, and I probably would have gone back even further than that. I, I probably would have gone back to Cain and Abel because I think that some of this uh, making sure you bring the best offering before the Lord um, comes even from there. So really, the the very you yeah, go all the way back to the very foundation, and we can we can take things that are um, biblical and twist them um, through tradition so that that best offering also becomes making sure we look the best that we can. And, and there's there's definitely some validity there. You should not come to church. Um, well, come in whatever condition you are first, be there, but you should take the time to, you know, present yourself clean and, um, ready. Um, and, and part of that comes, um, uh, part of that is not being a distraction to those around you. Um, you come to church stinking, I'm sorry, but you're going to be a, uh, you get the back row. You get the back row. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> And and don't if you come in that condition, um, don't feel bad if people aren't quick to lay hands on you when you need prayer. Or so, but in in all seriousness, um, come as you are. But uh, that that should be the best that you can offer to the Lord.
5: Yeah, I have a uh, if you would like to go into um, if you go to YouTube, uh, you can go to um, Pastor Scott Stewart. I have a, a YouTube channel there, and I encourage you to subscribe to that. But I have a I have a video in there. There's asked about it. asks a question: What is uh what is the right apparel for for church? Uh, and the guys are right. There's not a um, a verse that says anything about Sunday best. Uh, first of all, the idea of Sunday worship didn't even yeah, exist, yeah. Uh, at, you know, until about the fourth century. Uh, but um, beyond that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the Bible does say the, the the mode of dress that the Bible does talk about. It talks about modest dress. Right. Uh, there's nothing about, and and plus it's so arbitrary because you know if I have a tuxedo in my closet. Then that's the best clothes I have. So mm-hmm. I wear a tuxedo every Sunday. If Dave's best thing is, uh, you know, a um, flip flops and cutoffs, is that what he wears every Sunday? Look at it this way: if you were going to go on a first date with a girl, and you're gonna, you, how would you dress? You would put a lot, a little effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're going to go to be in the house of the king, if you're going to go to be meet with your your father, you're going to at least, as you know, as Billy said, you're gonna look at least. Smell nice, look, look nice. You're going to put out an effort, but does that mean wearing three apiece every day in a fedora? Uh, no, but it just certainly means um, honoring God with your with your with your, with your modesty and honoring God with. What Here's what have. I heard:
4: Scott will be wearing a tuxedo to church. That's what I heard. That's what hey, I heard. He,
1: he wears a kilt every now and again. Yeah. That's yeah. Kind yeah. Of the equivalent I did wear okay. a kilt a few weeks ago. I would I would say um, two things. One, got the privilege to have uh, the Passover at the governor's place about four years ago or five Mm -hmm. years ago and um we uh we spent a little extra money getting all nicety up to go to Uh the governor if we're gonna do that for the governor's house then maybe we should do it for the king's house uh the other thing though is there's this there's this mentality though that if you dress nice it's a false piety and so we have this idea that, well, if you're more casual in your dress and your approach, then you're more spiritual than those who dress up. And, and that's that gives a false impression that somehow if I'm a little more laissez-faire in my dress, that I'm actually more spiritual than those who wear a suit. And I think that's the opposite of those who would judge those who were, who did dress that way. So I think we need to be careful with either side of that. But my personal view is I think we should look a little bit nicer and dress a little bit nicer with the idea that we're coming before the king
3: and i think it's also important that we don't we understand that what we think is sunday best may not be what sunday best of another person That's is right. i mean some people right. think that if you're not there in slacks and a, a dress shirt and a tie or suit and tie you're not your sunday best well i gotta tell you there's a lot of people that can't i don't even have a tie anymore yeah. i've had people
5: um when i first um, became the associate pastor at agape church i was there for 4 months as the associate before i became the senior pastor and the first sunday i was there I, mean, I was in i was in full suit we had visitors come to the back room this guy came in his first time at the church he was dressed in a regular shirt jeans and his first words out of his mouth was i'm so sorry for the way i'm dressed uh huh he began to apologize yeah. i felt horrible yep. that he would be doing something like that cuz what could happen here is all of a sudden this becomes quickly a tradition of man, and then right. we have this what we call clothesline preaching. You have whole sermons about how you should be dressed and what you should be driving, and what you, how you yep. should be living, what you should be living in, you know, and it, it quickly becomes a mess. Yep. Okay. Modest, me get, modest
3: dress, honoring God. Let me get in our last question, and we may pick this up next week. Okay. Socialism. Is it a religion? You got to know a little bit about socialism <laughs> to be able to answer this. What's the basis of Socialism. Steve, you know uh that we all take care of one another. Okay.
5: The definition one of the definitions of religion mm-hmm. is the pursuit or an interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Okay. And if so if someone uh thinks that socialism is the if that's the most important issue for them, then it
4: certainly has become a um uh, yeah. a religion. Okay. To them.
5: It's like climate change to other people and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
4: So this is one of those things I spent several weeks talking about out the prison, which is idolatry. Uh, And the fact that idolatry doesn't always look like um, building a statue and bowing down in front of it. Anything that we elevate above God becomes an idol in our lives. And absolutely, since socialism, by and large, eliminates God. It's the absence um, of yeah. God. And, yeah. and relies solely on man, then it absolutely becomes, um, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, it absolutely becomes an idol in our lives. And therefore, it becomes a, a religion in and of itself. So um, well, there's no doubt, no doubt
3: that, you know, pantheism mm. and the worship of nature yeah. is a huge problem it in is. our country it today. Is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And that's a false religion. So. Absolutely. Well,
1: and some people take the idea that when the apostles had all things in common and they shared with one another that that was the idea, and though I do believe that's probably a good b- biblical principle, um, it only works in a perfectly pure, yeah. godly-run environment mm-hmm. because so anytime time man has a chance to be dominating or greedy, he will do so unless he's governed by God. Yeah, but, d- so but the I've difference
3: got, between Christianity – and socialism is that the socialist says there is no god right man can be perfect mm. ah. and so i'm going to tell i'm going to tell you that uh, we can do this when in fact no man is perfect i don't think this yeah. i don't
1: i'm, I'm going to disagree with you there because there's a lot of socialists who will use jesus yep. as an example of taking care of the poor but and not the as needy. a divine
3: personality it may
1: not but they they'll look at what he did as the first socialist as yep. the first um social justice warrior so they they'll believe in a, in a in a religious sense but they'll misuse it yeah
3: but i don't even think they were believing it in a religious sense mm-hmm. i would say Be communist, communist right is
1: here. probably more of an accurate of what you're saying
3: yeah. Right? yeah well socialist is socialism is nothing more than the bridge between capitalism communism and communism. Communism. I, agree. Sure, sure, sure. I agree that's exactly and I, and I've what it it is. over
5: 20 some odd years in socialist countries we'll, I,
3: we'll, we'll I, talk more uh, about it go ahead do I have like 30 seconds
5: i got 30 to, seconds
1: i got to spend um a couple <laughs> weeks in croatia in 2008, teaching, and I got to meet good. a man, and and uh, he went by the name Yapa, and I, it probably meant you know a grandfather or father. And he drove for the Russians for 30 years. He drove like a Russian general around, and he sat there. And when he began to speak on the boat that day, everybody shut up and listened to this old man. He talked about how good it was that the Americans were there, and and because of what we bring to their country and how bad their country was when they lived underneath mm-hmm. communism. Yep. And those are the kind of people that need to have a voice who
3: lived under it for thirty years. Yes. We've had socialists standing up and saying you don't want Bernie Sanders and yeah. people ain't listening. They're all they're hearing is free. And like I've said, you know, Sanders says that uh, Bloomberg's trying to buy the election. Well, that's what Sanders is trying to do, but he's trying to buy it with your money. That's yeah. right. Guys, thanks so much for Thank being you, with David. us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. We appreciate it. We'll see you next Tuesday. Remember your questions, Bible guys, at SalemLR.com. <laughs> Our Dave Ellswick show, good friend of mine, and a man that I respect highly uh, when I talk about different things uh, as far as uh, what's going on over in the Middle East and in Afghanistan, and that's Conrad Reynolds, Colonel Conrad Reynolds, who's with us, best known for uh, taking care of the Arkansas uh veterans hall of fame he's been the main man who's put in, not the only guy all right i don't want to come across as the only guy but he is the man who gets behind everybody and pushes That's he's, it. he's a pusher <laughs> how about that he's like in in uh in japan when you get on the train they have a pusher and that's to make sure that all the writers that want to get on the train get on the train because he gets behind them, pushes them in.
2: Well, I will tell you, uh, we have a great board—the uh, people that work on the Hall of Fame—and I'm very proud of them. So and they do a good yeah, job. We we try we try, try okay. to honor veterans.
3: So I this happened last week uh, when we started hearing the uh, the uh, administration talking about Afghanistan. Here's what's transpiring right now. They said for a week. We want no violence in Afghanistan. It means no roadside bombs, no bombings, things of that nature. And if you guys can do that, talking to the Taliban, then we can sit down and start talking, uh, you know, a peace proposal between the Taliban and the United States. Right. One of the major points of their discussion was that the Taliban would not allow groups to use Afghanistan as training bases for radicals for terrorists like al-Qaeda ISIS things of that nature now nothing was mentioned about protection for the existing government correct in Afghanistan and i think we got to go all the way back to the beginning of why we ended up in Afghanistan To understand what i think president trump is talking about why did we go into afghanistan in the first place and colonel you correct me if i'm wrong it wasn't to instill a democracy no it was to get rid of terrorist bases that were being used as jumping off off points to attack us
2: that's correct that's exactly what we went in to do but we stayed and now here we are almost, you know what, 19 years later. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. Uh, it's, it's really crazy the amount of money that we spent. Do you realize that we have spent almost a trillion dollars there uh, in the 18 years, 18 and a half years that we've been there? A trillion dollars. In fact, um, in order to deploy one U.S. soldier uh, to Afghanistan, you know what that cost for a year? You have no idea. One million dollars. Wow. A million dollars for one 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 soldier so uh we've spent a lot of money Uh, i think it comes out to about three thousand dollars for every u.s taxpayer something like that in afghanistan and it's worse now than it was when i got there in january of 2002 in january 2002 i went there Uh, it was safer then Uh, we could walk around we didn't have to have armored uh, body armor we could we we drove back and forth from Bagram to kabul Went all over the country to maji Sharif. We never had the issues that we have, of course, now, uh, and so it's very unfortunate. Um, what most of your listeners need to know is that this this is probably never going to be a win win a win situation for us. Uh, I don't
3: see. I don't see it that way. It, 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 if it's, you it's, go back to the beginning, <clears throat> mm-hmm. if we pull out and. We've got uh, the Taliban. They say we won't allow, you know, terrorist bases anymore. But the question, I think, we win. Well,
2: yeah, but the the problem is, and this is my personal opinion. I don't speak for anybody but myself. They pour um, so much treasure in. Well, the problem is, is that when have we ever been able to trust the Taliban or any other? Oh, I don't.
3: We can't. So, uh, deny whatever
2: they say. uh, I simply don't believe number one number two um there's nothing in there saying that they won't try to overthrow the current government and of course they will Uh, of course they will i mean it's just exactly it'll be a little time um they'll probably wait until we pull out under the terms of this agreement or this this the, the framework anyway is that um once this saturday i think they're supposed to sign uh, if there 's this this reduction of hostilities mm-hmm. ceasefire if you will it 's a very ambiguous term honestly because there still can be a few bombs going off yes. here and there yeah. uh, and it and we 're still going to go uh and sign this sign this thing, try to get it going and then they have to come to an agreement with the afghan government that 's the next step, and then after that then it 's an eighteen month process for us to reduce troops um going down right now around twelve thousand. Uh, U.S. troops there will go down to about eighty six hundred, eighty five hundred, somewhere in there, and then uh, more to follow. Provided the government and the Taliban can try to work together, I don't know how that's possible uh, because the Taliban's stated purpose is to get rid we'll of overthrow all the, them, overthrow them, uh, put in uh, Sharia law, correct, and uh, and uh, basically get rid of the current constitution that was ratified in two thousand four. These are the things that they want to do now. How that. Is going to be is going to be able to work with the current government who doesn't want any of that. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work.
3: Okay. I, I just go back. Uh, let me take us back to our own government. Right. All right. The France, uh, the French, mm-hmm. came in at the end of the Revolutionary War and saved our bacon. Right. And I think that everybody would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But in the War of eighteen twelve, the French didn't show up and join up with our troops and fight against the British. Mm -hmm. they 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 decided if you're going to last then you got to be able to do that yourself right and that's kind of how i feel about the the uh, afghani government it's been 19 years uh how many years do they need to be able to stand on their own and have their own military and be able to protect themselves and protect their country and does their country want to be protected well i think that everybody who's ever served there most i mean i've
2: spent in my career uh mostly after i got a, I retired uh, when over as a contractor for several years i've spent about four and a half years in afghanistan and i to the person i don't know anybody who's served there who's had any dealings with the afghans uh the military the military intelligence people all those folks uh who think that they even have a shot at being able to maintain a country as we define as we, de- as we define a country they're just not going to be able to do it anybody who has the intellect or education, knowledge, they're gone. Most of the people who are in leadership, a vast majority of them when I was there, their families don't even live there. Their families live in the UAE. They live, uh, you know, in Europe. Uh, They don't live there at all. And they all have their exit plan to go whenever uh, the the country falls. Um, the, The central government has only been able to control about 10 to 12, maybe 15 of their 34 provinces that they have
3: okay less than fifty percent
2: oh yeah it's all and you'll see some figures that say fifty, but they've never have it's always been lower than that and um and most of the uh the people who they have in these outside provinces um unfortunately are very corrupt, and we have made it worse by the amount of money that we've poured into there uh we've made t- we've put a ton of money and we just throw money at it and uh, and and it's been really and truly we've not done anything but make it worse to be honest with you that's my opinion
3: because i said well i and and i agree Uh, i sat down with my son this last weekend and talked to him now he Mm -hmm. he served a year over in in afghanistan right most of it was spent outside the wire Mm -hmm. so i i figured that he'd have uh a a view of it and he looked at me he said dad he said uh, and i told him what i thought and he says i would agree with you that if they don't let terrorist bases go go on then we should get out he says but there's no saving the afghani government that's that was his exact words to me there's right. no saving them he says they're inept and they don't want they they don't want to do what's necessary they're inept and they're corrupt And it's just a way of life
2: there. And uh, we cannot apply the same rules that we use here for uh, success. And uh, we just can't. And so for there, uh, that's their way of life. And, you know, I think that your son's right. I mean, as soon as we leave. And be honest with you, I'm not advocating that we stay. You know, I I said a long time ago when we killed UBL, we should have said success. We've done our job in 2011.
3: In May 2011, we should have pulled out. We well, your see- illustration that you used on this show several years ago has stuck with me. Right. It's like going to going to Afghanistan was like sticking your hand in a bucket of water, and then when you remove it, you expect to still see a hole. It ain't right. going to happen. Nope. It'd
2: be as if we were never there. And, and that's what's happened to every other foreign force that's ever gone into Afghanistan. And um, so there's just too many uh problems within the country and also they've got eight bordering countries six rather six bordering countries that don't want to see a unified afghanistan you know it's it's all in their interest to make sure that it's not unified it's you know,
3: really in pa- Iran's interest that it's not unified. Iran
2: and Pakistan, yes, Pakistan, and Pakistan, Pakistan doesn't is, and, yeah. and China's got a small portion of that. Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. I mean, all of these folks, they don't want to see a unified Afghanistan. And there's enough turmoil in the country, Dave. You got fourteen different ethnicities there. A lot of language, very tribal. Uh, they don't trust each other if they're from a different tribe. Uh, uh, there's a there's that's the reason it is just one of those unique areas that probably will never be a unified country as we've as we see it, as we know it.
3: Okay. Let's take a break. Right. My guest is Colonel Conrad Reynolds talking about Afghanistan, talking about what the, the the administration wants to do. You gotta remember what the president said when he was running for president. He said he wanted to get us out of Afghanistan. He's referred to it a couple of times uh, at his big rallies that he's been doing lately. And I, 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 personally think that we're going to end up starting to see our troops re- be removed from, uh, Afghanistan. But what do you call victory? That's going to be the big, uh, question, uh, that we have to answer amongst ourselves as Americans. 19 minutes after eight, it's 48 degrees. 48 degrees here in central Arkansas on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Back with you, 22 minutes, or make it 23 minutes after 8 o'clock, seven minutes to the bottom of the hour, Sean Hannity coming up. My special guest is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. He has spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, and I figured if we wanted to understand the pros and the cons of what the administration's talking about, I get his personal opinion about what's going on. I got my son's personal opinion over the weekend with him. And I will tell you this, after serving over there, my son came back with a very jaded view of the United States government.
2: Well, uh, the actions that we've taken in Afghanistan have not worked. Um, look how many administrations, you know, you got the Bush, you got the Obama, now the Trump administration. I think President Trump is trying to do the right thing. I think it's a stalemate. I think as far as our ability to do anything there, it's not going to be a victory like World War II in no way. However... It's um, hard now to have a World War II victory anywhere uh, right. in the world. It's, 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 it's impossible in Afghanistan. And I think that um, we need to be prepared because when we, we do pull out, there's going to be a definite change of of, of governments. I'm telling you, the Taliban will take over, and there's no doubt in my mind. And everybody else really knows that um, it may take a year two years three years but down the road they will take over because you know what it's very difficult to stand up against somebody when they they're willing to blow the head off of your neighbor when <laughs> your neighbor's head off rather um to stand up against that and, yeah. and, and and people will just they just won't do it and so that's why the taliban came into power anyway back in 90 what 90 was 96 96 Uh, 1996 so uh, mostly funneled by or fueled uh financed by pakistan because pakistan wanted to make sure they had some kind of control in afghanistan so that's where uh, the taliban came from
3: yeah just know that where why did we go that's what i keep asking myself why did we go in in the first place right and the first reason we went in is because al-qaeda was using afghanistan as training grounds
2: safe haven safe haven for them so yeah. they could go in there and, and, and train correct and
3: so we went in and we crushed that right and uh rightfully so we should have crushed it i think if you come up with a this thing with uh, the taliban the main thing has to be you're not going to allow the terrorists back in now we've we've got enough military troops Stationed fairly close to Afghanistan mm-hmm. that if they started building terrorist bases again, we can burn we can bomb them into pre prehist- you know pre prehistoric times i mean they 're already in prehistoric oh, times it's, oh it's horrible
2: it's horrible even you know even kabul but if you get outside of kabul i mean it's you're going back to the stone age i'm telling you
3: my my son now you you tell me if what you were saying was true uh he said that they burn so much species over there mm-hmm. for heat and stuff that the air is unfit to breathe that's correct
2: that is correct and if you go to places you can look when you get above cobble you can just see this uh it's just black all over it i mean you can just see all this it's it's horrible but in the and winter they're not that's just what they burning,
3: do. they're not just burning cow and goat dung either they're no both, it's everything it's, it's everything. their own stuff yeah,
2: absolutely yeah they do and um but it's just it's just uh something from another another planet in some ways but uh, I'm glad I'm not going back there right now or anymore. I'm, I've decided that's it. You're I'm done. done with it, huh? yeah? Because I don't, I don't really see how we're actually benefiting, um, and I think we're spending taxpayer money foolishly, and we have been for a long time. And okay. I can go over example, example, example of where we have um, wasted U.S. taxpayer money, and it's it's become we have a saying a self licking ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we are. Uh, when we go over there, most of the contractors, people who work in there, are working there to make money because you make good money while you're there. Um,
3: but we're not really accomplishing uh,
2: anything, to be honest with
3: you. So do you fall in my category? If we can keep the terrorist spaces from restarting up, we can we can declare victory and move out? Oh, absolutely.
2: Well, well I, we should have done that, as I said, in 2011. We would have saved a bi- minimum of $50 billion a year. Uh, since if we have done that um i think that's the only thing that we can do where otherwise we'll be there forever and they'll never stand on their own feet but and they're never capable i don't think because of the way that they're structured and because of the um the differences in the the population who actually reside there they're never going to come together i mean it's just it's just the way it is you know they just had elections last september um that's that's still in contention in fact um uh, Ghani, the, the current president, who won re-election, um, Abdullah, Abdullah, who was the CEO, you know, who contested the, one, the, the election in 2014, so mm-hmm. they came a compromise, and so he became the CEO, basically, and Ghani became the president. Well, they ran against each other again, and Abdullah, Abdullah is contesting the election results, saying he won. The question's going to be, in a week, who actually negotiates for the Afghan government on this peace treaty? That's going to be a problem. So they're going to have to work that out amongst themselves. And then once that's done, how are they going to maintain peace and what are going to be the, um, the rules, uh, in order for this negotiation to go forward for the next 18 months? I think, um, I'm not real hopeful of that, but I do believe, and I applaud president President Trump, because I think that we do need to be out of Afghanistan. I think it's time. I think that we need to be, um, Aware of what the outcome probably will be, okay. And I agree with you. Uh, success really is no more training uh, camps uh, for any other outside terrorist organizations. we can keep
3: up with that. We can do that through satellite technology.
2: We can do a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can but, watch. Uh, uh, I, I, we can do. We can do a lot of things. Um, nothing. Nothing replaces boots on the ground. but I In agree. this particular case, I think that it's time to pull out. Um, we talked a little bit in the break about the money that they're getting and pretty much
3: fueled by the opium and we will talk about okay. that all right we got to take a break all right uh we got uh, Sean Hannity coming up here at the bottom of the hour my uh, guest is my uh, my friend and my uh, mentor about <laughs> military issues i have him in he's he's got his fingers in it all the time so i turn to uh, uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds to bring us up to date. Understand everything you're hearing is his opinion. Uh there's no administration dictator anything that he's given you. It's his opinion. Back after this on one oh one one FM, the answer. All right. We're back with you. It is uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds in with us. I uh, when he's in the area, I love to have him on because he's got some great viewpoints for you remember his opinions are his and his alone just like robert steinbach when he comes on his opinions are his and his alone but i hold these in a lot of uh, honor To be honest well thanks dave i appreciate you that. know we appreciate your service and uh it's something that people need to know about and all the things that you've done for veterans here in the state of arkansas We do appreciate it. 25 minutes till 9 and 48 degrees. We haven't moved up. We haven't moved down. We're just staying static right now. High today, they're telling us 60 degrees is what we're looking at. But we're going to have a lot more uh, sun today. It's supposed to break out, so I'm going to hold the weatherman to that. If it doesn't, uh, I might have to take out my own jihad on them. I don't know. I'm 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 wanting I'm wanting some sunshine. You know what I'm saying? I'm wanting some sunshine. All right. One thing that we mentioned uh, at the end of the last half hour, and I'm aware of it, uh, and I don't know how many Americans are really aware of it. It's not talked about openly. Is the opiate opioid, uh, opioid, opioid uh, growing that goes on over in Afghanistan? They grow a lot of poppy over there. Uh, they've been growing poppy for thousands of years and it's a lot of money and in fact
2: now they're growing more than they've ever grown ever and it's happening right now absolutely and if we wanted to stop it we probably could well you know there's been problems and the problems have come in between uh, the people who want to eradicate it, uh-huh. right? Um, and we'll say that those, you know, the State Department, DEA, say, "Look, you got to get rid of all the get rid of all these crops. We can go, we can burn them out, whatever." A lot of the military people don't want that because they knew. Uh, and go back to Vietnam, Agent Orange defoliant. They didn't they said, "Hey, there's a problem there." So there was some resistance for the last eighteen years from the military, but also the counterinsurgency people for the U.S. And the Allies didn't want to do it because then you hurt all the farmers. And then you, you and need then their who assistance did, who and help.
3: do they go? They go to the, the right. Taliban.
2: Right. So there's the, there's the uh, dilemma. And so there's always been this problem. And so there's been no coherent strategy on how to get rid of it.
3: Is there a coherent strategy? No, there's
2: never been one. In fact, the Brits initially took that on back in 2003, 2004. That was going to be their thing. Well, what they decided is they would pay $700 an acre okay, to these farmers to get rid of their opioid crop. Of course, you know what happened. You know, they grew twice as much, so they'd get more money. So they were growing more and more and more, and what they would do, they would take the poppy seed, they would get the, um, it's kind of a sap out of that, um, and sell that on the drug market, basically, mm-hmm. to get processed, and then they would burn down their crops and get to $700 anyway. So after about two years, they realized that was, that program was never going to work and so
3: they start start seeing swimming pools behind the uh, farmers uh, houses
2: right right well they quickly (laughs) realized they quickly realized uh, that this was not going to work in fact the problem (coughs) we have right now of course the Taliban that's their big money maker they get about 200 million dollars a year and that's what funnels. That's what f- uh, funds their terrorist activities, the IEDs, and things of that nature. So, uh, the uh, that's been a bust. Um, most of the opioids that uh, are grown there uh, are the the poppy seeds and what's made of the heroin that comes from that. Pretty much uh, impacts Europe and not the U.S. Um, you know, they're responsible for about ninety percent of all the poppy that's grown uh, in that. Ours is coming from south of the border. Uh, all of ours comes. The majority of it comes from um, from Mexico, yes. Okay, um, and Colombia still. Well, well, yeah, some, but not as much. You know, In fact, they were trying to use the uh, Colombia model um, that we used back in the late 80s, early 90s to mm-hmm. get rid of most of the cocaine in Afghanistan. Of course, it didn't work. You know, there's just two different countries. Again, you know, at least, you know, in Colombia, you've got a, an effective government that, that works and the people who support that. You don't have that in Afghanistan. So we've learned a lot of lessons. In fact, there's a uh, paper, your listeners, if they get time, they need to go read the Afghan papers. I don't know if you've heard about that or not. I have but not. It, uh, the Afghan papers were, uh, I guess the Washington Post filed uh, freedom of emission, Freedom of Information Act. It took them about three years to get. And this was a study done by the inspector general. His name was John uh, Sopko, Special Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. What he did was he took about four years, and they interviewed 400 people, General Petraeus, all the different leaders, and a lot of other people who didn't want to be uh, names in the report, and, and basically a hot wash, a lessons learned. And what they learned was just about everybody felt like this was a no-win situation, but that's not what they were telling the American public. They were telling people, we were making progress, we're doing this. Keep a brave face. Oh, yeah. And when the reality was everybody knew that this was a problem. And uh, it's called the Afghan Papers, and I uh, I think people, they can Google it, look it up. But it's it's very interesting. Um, and that just goes to show you when you have a self-licking ice green cone, like all the guys that we all get paid, people who go over there, want to show progress so they can keep their jobs and keep coming back oh sure and you know that only and, makes uh, sense doesn't uh, it oh absolutely and so that's what was happening even though progress wasn't really being made that's what we wanted to show
3: that's what people showed and uh it's, it's very very sad to be honest with you well sounds like the recent past and i use recent last 50 right. 60 years of uh, american foreign policy right
2: well, the foreign policy we had there was uh, nobody really wanted to stand up and say what needed to be said, and that is, it's time to pull out, and that's why I applaud President Trump. I think he's doing the right thing. I think we, we need to make that call, and it's not going to be pretty on the other
3: side of it. It really isn't, uh, but we need to be aware of that. Well, you know, war is never pretty. Right. And when you break stuff, something's got to go into the place of the stuff that you broke. Right, right. You just gotta you got to weigh the options. I mean... Can we keep terrorist groups from starting camps again and 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 move out and know that we don't have to worry about Al-Qaeda getting training so they can take on our military in other areas of the world, in Africa or whatever? Uh, if that's the case, then I'm all for it. You know, bomb them into oblivion if you have to.
2: Well, Afghanistan is, is, a, is a fertile ground for any type of terrorist activity or groups or getting people because, number one, they have a very low literacy rate mm-hmm. uh that's one uh less than 50 percent uh, can read or write um about f- i think it's uh, four out of five m- soldiers in the army can't read or write wow so, so that gives you an idea uh some of the problems they have there. life expectancy there has come up from 44 years to 50 years so you, your life expectancy is 50 years in afghanistan mm-hmm. um so um, it's it's just a fertile ground for people who have no the unemployment rate right now is about twenty three, twenty four percent. Um and there's no
3: industry over
2: there. It, the, well and those who do say. work only make about two thousand a year. Yeah. So so it's it's a real problem. And uh so where are you gonna go if you're gonna try to provide food for your family? Well, you can go to the Taliban, you can go to uh the the ISIL and a lot of these people change groups. They go from one group to another group.
3: It's not like different people. Where do they get most of their money. You that's know? right. That's Can exactly right. You get right. more money from that group or this group.
2: That's it. And uh, so, and but that's, that's what we've been dealing with now for many, many, many years. And there are some good people in Afghanistan. Don't get me wrong. But the reality is, um, I don't think we're ever going to change it. And, um, but, you know, we have some of the uh, Afghans who have helped us. Uh, particularly some of our special forces units that are going out doing night raids, that kind of stuff. A lot of those guys, very dangerous mission, but those are the guys actually that we're bringing back and resettling in the U.S. And, of course, my thought has always been those are the guys we need to keep there. Those are the guys who need to be the leaders of their country. That's not right. leave, yeah. but they're leaving, and we allow that, and that's kind of the the benny they get for helping U.S. soldiers. Or the uh, and why are they leaving? Is it because they know what the future? Of is? Of course, they know. Every one of them knows, and so and most of them now. You know what? Did you know that uh, uh, Britain has never let any of their interpreters come back and get a, reside back in in the UK?
3: Why is that?
2: They won't let. They won't allow it. They won't let them resettle. And of course, a lot of them are threatened. Their families are threatened. Or yeah, killed, that's what I'm saying. But they won't let. They, they got bullies on them. We do, but they don't. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And but, I think it's
3: because they have their own internal problems uh, in the UK. Yeah, well, they'll they'll bring over all kinds of people from the Middle East that you probably don't want in your country. Well, and that's the that's the dilemma that you have. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. All Absolutely. Right. Got a quarter to nine. You're learning a lot today. I, I hope. I really do. You're learning a lot. Let's talk a little bit about Western thought. Western thought is different than the way they think in Afghanistan. We can talk about that when we come back as well with Colonel. Colonel Conrad Reynolds as our guest. Quarter till 9 and 48 degrees here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer. All right. So uh, we've got about 12 minutes till 9 o'clock, and Colonel Conrad Reynolds is with us till 9 Uh, tomorrow joe and duck will drop by that'll be in the uh eight o'clock hour seven thirty ish seven o'clock i don't know which it's going to be uh we'll have congressman french hill on with us and we'll talk with him about what's going on interesting conversation with him last week because he had just got back from the border down by uh Uh, in Arizona. It was interesting what he had to say and how he was explaining to us the difference between being on the border in Arizona, being on the border over by San Diego, or being on the border over in McAllen, Texas and how it all differs in the different areas you're at. Now, I've been on the border in Arizona at King Anvil Ranch and I can tell you, it was an eye-opening experience uh, for me as far as that's concerned. Won't go into that anymore. We'll, We'll get into it later on on another program but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about western thought uh, when america was founded it was founded on western thought magna carta and all of those different things afghanis do not have that kind of a history no. and you said that they are tribal one i was just telling the colonel during the break watching that movie about the the special forces that went over at the very beginning of our uh, war with afghanistan or more not with just afghanistan but with the taliban and uh, the uh, terrorist organizations over there and talking about how the northern alliance worked right. with us the other alliance did not in fact they became kind of a thorn in our side because they would cut off areas that they were they knew that they had to use to be able to attack the enemy and, and that's a perfect example about when you get divided loyalties like that, how do you pull all that together and look at Afghanistan as a, as a unified country?
2: Well, it, it's not, and it never will be. That's the, been the problem for 18 years. Uh, they don't view themselves as we in America. We view ourselves as Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm from Arkansas. I'm an Arkansan, but I'm, I'm an American and that's what unifies us together, uh, Afghans don't see that way, because usually Afghans always refer to the Pashtun tribe, not all the other tribes. And so the other tribes don't view themselves as Afghan. Um, For us, though, it's very hard for us to understand. We think that they should all uh, view themselves that way. Right, and it's not. It's not that way. It'd be like, and i would give this example in the break, but it's like taking all the Indian tribes in America, throwing them all in Arkansas and saying, okay, you're all Arkansans now. OK, they would not agree with that at all, even though we gave them that, you know, we said that's who you are. Yeah, because no. they're
3: they're proud of their particular tribe.
2: And that's and that is who they have loyalty to. And that is the and that's the problem that we're having right now. You know, am I am I That's one of the main problems that we have? You know, Afghanistan's about the size of Texas, a little smaller, but it's got a GDP about the size of Maine, mm-hmm. about 69 billion a year. Not much. So it's a very poor country, extremely poor country. They're going to to need financial assistance for the next, you know, 50 to 100 years. I don't think that we're in a position to do that. I just don't. And um, so I don't really see, like I said, that's why I said about the no win earlier in our conversation. I don't see that we're able to really make a big difference at all. And so uh, I think you're right in the sense that if our goal is we're going to get make sure that there's no Training bases, no environment for uh, another terrorist organization to come in and start building. Um, and they agree to that and they live up to that, which I think is, you know, it's a toss of the coin whether they will or not. But I think that's going to be the best we're going to get.
3: All right. Well, I, I think, you know, we've we've pretty much touched on everything that I wanted to touch on right. you know, today about Afghanistan. Let me ask this question. I'm, I'm moving to a different part of the world. Uh-oh. Another, another <laughs> part that I think is going to be the next hot spot and that's that's africa
2: africa's well africa it's is uh, our, it's
3: already pretty hot
2: over there right well there's a lot of things going on in africa and one of the bigger bigger biggest players in africa right now is china yeah i know china is you would not believe how much money china is just pouring into to africa mainly, well, mainly need, for the natural resources
3: that's exactly what they need the natural that's resources what, and, that, and that's
2: what it is i went to um it's been a few years ago i went to Kenya. And um, uh, I'm telling you, it, most of the roads are all built by Chinese, the Chinese uh, uh, construction firms coming in. I'm telling you, it's they're they're into Af- to Africa big time right now.
3: Okay, so when you look at that, and then you hear what our Attorney General said, Barr, just the other day, w- you know, warning governors here in the state of Arkansas about Chinese companies coming here and bringing uh their thought processes and perhaps not just worried about how much money they're making but how can they sway the american government and a state government right right There's something to be learned from that is oh, there not oh, it is
2: all you have to do is look at how much influence they have right now in africa and some of the countries i'm telling you it's um it's an amazing i was shocked at how much influence they that they have right now so Um, And most of the money that they're using, of course, is paid for by whom? paid by
3: us, buying products from China.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah.
3: because I I look at at Africa, and I look at the east coast of Africa, and that seems to be where everything's happening. It gets down towards um, Rwanda and that area, and that's kind of a demarcation line right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese seem to be using the Muslim movement, to their benefit. Am I, am I right about that? I, that I, I, I really couldn't comment
2: on. I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know some of their political strategies there in, in, in Africa. I do know that they have a lot of influence, and I know that their main their main st- purpose is for the natural resources there.
3: And I know that our government is not talking to the American people enough about what's going on in Africa. That's true. In
2: fact, I think we're, we're even eliminating AFRICOM, uh there was some discussion about uh eliminating that i don't know I, I just think that that's a that's a whole nother whole nother story i'd have to do some reading come back and talk to you about that
3: well if you're not wanting to go back to afghanistan no, africa I'm not going africa, back. africa might be somewhere where they want you to go no i've been to africa too i really don't care <laughs> you to go don't going like there. africa either no i don't like it either. you don't like seeing mount kilimanjaro i'm just saying I just, that's a, that's one country I've always wanted to visit, but I want to visit kind of the the southern part. And, and they've had the same kind of problems there as they've had in Afghanistan, the whole tribal mm-hmm. thing. Right. I mean, you know, we talked about Rwanda, you talked about the Tutsis and the right. Tutsis and the problems that were there for, for that during the, the Clinton administration. the right. and, uh, and the millions of people that died uh, there in the civil war that they had. But uh, then you look at uh, the ten horde dictators. I mean, Mugabe just died, and I hope that Satan had a really hot spot in hell for him. Right. Because we gave, his people were starving. A lot of people don't even know this story. And we gave them tons upon tons of food. Mm -hmm. And he put them in storage houses. And the only way you got the food is if you did things his way. Right. Right. And he starved his people to death. Right right unbelievable but that's happened that's we've done well, that. that's all happened place, all over sure. the place right? absolutely you know you, so, gotta, you gotta pick your you know you're i guess you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't in some of those situations who you make your friends with
2: but uh, you're exactly right you're exactly right but well, we got a lot to learn and uh, afghanistan right now is on the, on the hot plates on the front front burner right now
3: so here's the key yeah are we learning or are we just you know repeating well, that's the that's the problem
2: well uh if people get time read the afghan papers and you' gonna, gonna read. and you're gonna get an idea check of, it out uh, of exactly what's been fed to the american people for the last 18 years and although everybody was i think everybody's heart was in the right place they just simply weren't willing to face reality that uh there's some things we can't fix you know there's, there, we can't fix everything with money
3: so if we're not in afghanistan should we turn our attention and uh you know basically surround iran well uh we're gonna have to face iran at some point i mean that's that's
2: that's going to happen i mean in my that's my opinion again right. i think okay here's point. what we're
3: hearing we, we i've got my version of george Patton sitting right here in the <laughs> studio with me and you going you, you <laughs> fight the russians now or you're going to fight them later well in this
2: case uh the, the iranian problem is going to be a big problem for the world if they get a nuclear weapon which we cannot allow that's right we cannot allow that uh at some point you're going to have to face that that demon and it's coming it's coming to us mm-hmm. and uh the obama administration simply kicked the can down the road for about 10 years um but i think it's going to be sooner than that that we're going to have to make a decision on what we're going to do there
3: well i sure take i take you at your word Colonel. well thank you you've been around <laughs> you've intelligence is your thing well, that's what they say. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> You're not sure. I'm not sure. All right, but, but thanks for having me on, Dave. Well, I let's, really appreciate uh, let's it. Let's get lunch before you go back to the East Coast somewhere and all right. and sit and talk about things we can't talk about on the air. Sounds great. All thanks, right, for, I thanks for having me. You. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. All right, we're done for today. Tomorrow, six uh, o'clock, I'll be on and uh, I'll have all the news that you need to know about. So when you get to the water cooler, you can talk about things uh, with at least some. uh, uh I guess you sound smart. I won't say you are smart, but we'll make you sound smart. And then we'll uh, we'll talk with uh, the congressman, Congressman Hill. We'll see what he wants to talk about. We'll talk with the car uh, guys, uh, Joe and Duck, they'll be on as well. Until then, you have a great day. Don't forget, Gallagher's up next. Rush is coming up at 11. Sean Hannity at 2. Jay Sekulow for an hour from 5 o'clock until 6 o'clock, or his son will be here. I'll be back with you at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. It's uh, still 48 degrees, looking for a high today of 60. See you then. Have a great day.